Welcome to Connect to Capital, the podcast brought to you by Scale Investors. I'm your host, Catherine Robson, Chair of the Scale Investors Board. Our vision at Scale Investors is to create a world where gender does not limit access to capital. We do that by putting our money where our mouth is and investing in outstanding women founders. But even more than that, we know the transformational power of collaboration and we are passionate about connecting founders with the advice, education and deep network that will enable them to thrive. In this podcast, we interview Australia's most successful and thoughtful venture investors because we believe that knowledge is power and education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. We hope you love this conversation and are as excited as we are about giving all entrepreneurs the opportunity to create a better future. It's time to open access. This week, we have an extra special guest, Libby Briggs, who is the superstar designer of Scale's entrepreneur education program, Empowered. Libby is steeped in rigorous pedagogical training and experience, having taught for nine years at one of Melbourne's highest achieving academically selective schools. Having then immersed herself in the startup world with SBE Australia and starting her own business, it's hard to think of anyone better to design educational experiences for founders. Libby loves working with business builders and has found that being surrounded by incredibly entrepreneurial and accomplished women inspires her to be more engaged, to take more risks in her own business and to strengthen her skills in supporting women-led ventures. Libby's also a facilitator and she's passionate about supporting founders to hone their skills, grow in confidence as they talk about their business and create a strong narrative in their pitch and extend their network for growth and scale. As a project manager, Libby is agile and adaptive, working to create the best online education program for female founders. At Scale, we just feel so lucky to work with Libby. Libby, I'm super excited to talk to you today. You're the master of some of the domains that I'm really interested in. But before we dig into what you do now, can you tell us a bit about what you wanted to be when you were growing up? Oh, wow. That's a big question. I don't think I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I'm going to dive into the education system soon as well. But one of the things I said that um, I would say that maybe did me a disservice in my schooling was when I went through school, there wasn't a whole lot of range of jobs. It was like, you know, you're going to become a teacher, you're going to become a lawyer, you're going to become an accountant. And, And so I really don't think that Uh, the school set me up particularly well for thinking outside the box and so I think I came out of school and I really had no idea what I wanted to do but I did have one thing I spoke German I'd spent a lot of time living in Germany when I was in high school did an exchange and that I think just changed the trajectory of my life I think it really gave me that entrepreneurial spirit and that kind of real risk taking to go somewhere where you know no one where you don't speak the language and live in a family, you know, where you possibly don't get along, which was my situation, um, you know, with your um, host sister. And, and it was it was really hard, but I think I learned that I can do it. And I've lived my life by that since then. You know, people often would call me random because, you know, I've spent a lot of time living in different places and just picked up random jobs over time and ran with it. And I think that that is where that stems from. Did you pick Germany specifically? Was there something about Germany that really appealed or was it just the lottery that you got in the exchange student, you know, um, roulette wheel? Not so 
much. I mean, you know, we had different languages at school and it was French or German or Japanese and everybody picked French. You know, German was the ugly language. <laughs> That's what the students didn't want to do. And I thought, well, I don't want to do French with everyone else. I'm going to go and do German. And then I had this incredible teacher. And I think that's often the story you hear about school students or entrepreneurs or whoever it is. They have this one incredible person who really influences them and inspires them to, to be better and do and do good. And she was amazing. And she basically set up this opportunity for me to go over there. And, and I kind of never looked back from there. And so in terms of your path towards becoming an educator, how did that shape itself? Well, I went to Monash and I did teaching. And, you know, if I'm honest, the only reason I did that is because I came back from spending a lot of time living in Germany and went, well, now I speak German. What am I going to do with it? You know, and so went off and and became a teacher. And, And I think there's always been a part of me that was meant to be a teacher. You know, I've always loved getting up in front of people and doing the public speaking and and being out there and facilitating and I have my own very small, definitely not a startup, small business where I'm also a marriage celebrant. So I think that's part of me is to get up and, and be happy to just kind of put myself on the line and get up there. But I went off to Monash and I became a German teacher and then was really fortunate actually to get a job at an incredible school. What I realised was that the impact I was able to have in the classroom was only so much. You know, I was able to impact the 100, the 150 kids that I might teach every year. And that really wasn't enough for me. I wanted to kind of have a bigger impact. And so the way to do that was to go into a leadership position at the school and to kind of be able to have an influence on that broader curriculum and also, you know, the student wellbeing side of things. And so I, you know, I kind of took on that opportunity and, and spent some time learning about different learning techniques, in particular focusing on that language acquisition area, which I just find so incredibly interesting how we acquire languages. And then also developed a entrepreneurship program for the school at the time. And so I think that's where it all kind of starts to link in and take shape is that I always had these different things going on. And then, and then you know, like many women, I had a baby and I really didn't want to go back to school not because I didn't love it. I did. I loved aspects of what I was doing. But I also felt the system sometimes let the schools down. There were incredible entrepreneurial teachers, innovative, trying to do amazing things. But the system is so old and archaic and rigid. It meant that those ideas just kind of got swept under the rug because it's, you know, a big system and it's got to keep moving. And and I was sick of going in with ideas and saying, I think we should be teaching like this or I think we should be doing this program or whatever and and being told, no, that didn't fit within the timeline or the, you know, the timetable or whatever it happened to be. And so I think I was looking for a change at that period of time. And then I just had this incredible opportunity to do some work with SBE Australia, who I'm sure you know of. They're an incredible organisation that also support women founders And I just kind of started doing a little bit of curriculum-based stuff for them, so helping them with some program management and reviewing their curriculum, given that was my background, and then began facilitating their Evolve program. And I think that's where it all began for me, really, is I just got so much from these incredibly inspiring women entrepreneurs, and I was able to give back to them as well. So that was the best part of it for me. It's funny. We all like to criticise education because we've all had some exposure to it. You know, 
it was compulsory for a certain part of our lives and some of us have kids who are experiencing it now. But I think we often don't appreciate how difficult teaching is and how much science there is in pedagogy. You know, there's actually real science behind how people learn. How do you think that finds its way into the sort of education programs, you know, you've built for SBE and and now that you've built for scale? Whilst the school system and the education system for our students, it doesn't have the innovation and it's not able to kind of be super quick and adaptive. I feel like some of the curriculum-based learning and the importance of actually being able to take something and action it needed to come into the space, particularly when we're talking about women entrepreneurs, but I think more broadly. And there are some great examples of organisations that are doing that in the startup ecosystem where, you know, it's, it's all well and good to kind of, you know, watch a video of someone talking about their experiences. But if you can't then take that learning and put it into context, and you can't take that learning and, and put it into the context of your own world with support to actually, you know, direct you in the right path. And I think that's what schools do so well. You know, they, you know, they take students, they help them, they bring new ideas to the fore, and then they help them really figure out what's the context, what's your live context, and how do we put that into the realities of the now. And I think that, that that's what I've taken from my, you know, curriculum knowledge is First of all, how do people learn? So it's, you know, not through sitting through, we've all been there, you know, a 45-minute lecture at university where you're thinking, oh, God, is this ever going to end type thing? You know, it's short, it's sharp, it's keeping people engaged, but it's also, you know, allowing them to take it quite a complex um, topic, digest it, and then put it into their reality, which is really important. So how did scale steal you from SB Australia? And how did we find a way to get you to build the Empower program? Well, it didn't steal me at all, actually. (laughs) I still do the facilitation for SBE. And actually, it's great synergy because I actually felt the value of speaking to these women in the Evolve program and and that, that common pattern, seeing where they're struggling and then being able to build that into a bit of the content as well. I think really one of the things I was seeing was that building a pitch deck and understanding that process of pitching is only part of the solution. And I felt always that there was a bit of a gap there from, you know, I've got a great pitch deck, I'm ready to go, I understand valuations, I understand all of these kinds of ins and outs and stuff, but I actually then can't figure out how to raise capital. You know, I can't get to that next step. And so when Chelsea and Samar, the CEOs of Scale, reached out and, you know, we just had one of those conversations where it's, you know, people are just throwing ideas around and it's like-minded and and we really believed that that gap existed in the market, in the Australian ecosystem and, and knew that we had the ability to fill that because we've got the investor network, you know, within our own investors at Scale, but also more broadly within the ecosystem, we were able to reach out to VCs and angels and revenue-based financing options and, you know, all of the various different ecosystem partners to actually say, hey, you've got the information, let's build this together. Because I think that's the other thing is, you know, as much as we can stand up and say, this is the problem, here's the solution, actually the solution and the information needed to come from the investors that are having the day-to-day discussions with founders and seeing those issues and then also from the founders who've been there and done that and so that's where we really started was speak to the investors speak to the founders that have raised capital and find out 
how is their journey and how can we learn from that journey? And so can you explain, you know, what you've built so far and, and some of the results that you've achieved? Yeah, absolutely. So we built the um, Empowered program. So initially we did have incredible webinar series, which was called the Founded program. And that was a five-day amazing opportunity for founders to kind of come along, hear from some incredible ecosystem partners in a series of one-hour webinars. And it was just inspiring. You know, these people were just incredible. And we had, you know, about 350 women founders who attended throughout the week. So, you know, it was really amazing to be able to reach so many women founders. And on the back of that, we then run the Empowered program, which is very much a high touch program in that it's a 10 week program. A lot of it is online based learning. So founders can hop in to the platform whenever they want, which was really important for us because we know women are doing childcare, they're doing other things, they're you know often working part-time or they're helping with elderly parents or whatever that happens to be. And so it needed to be flexible and it needed to be national. So that was the reason why we went for the online learning. And then founders also have the opportunity to connect with each other in a small cohort grouping once a fortnight throughout the program. And I think that's the other thing that's so important is that ability to connect because being a founder, particularly an early stage founder, is so isolating. You just want the ability to say to someone else, this is what I'm thinking. Is this crazy or is this, you know, is this a good idea? You know, because I think that's the problem. And, and actually that's what's the most inspiring thing about the program um, and the programs I've been involved in is not just the connections we can make through our network at scale, but also the connections that the founders can make for each other. I think a great example of this is a founder who reached out. Um, one of our founders is working on a robotic solution. One of the other founders from the cohort reached out and said, oh, my brother is, you know, da 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 let me connect you in. And I just, all I have to do is make an email introduction. And that is the best when that happens. Yeah, I think also if you haven't run your own business, or haven't worked on really innovative solutions, sometimes it's hard to have people to talk to that understand your experience. So if, you've, if all your friends work in corporate or in different areas, sometimes you can't even find the common language to talk about the problems. And so when you talk to someone else who's got a business that it's a similar stage to yours or has been through a similar stage to yours, it's just really affirming and reassuring that you're not the only one having those problems. Absolutely. And I think the same goes for that capital raising experience. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence, but also, you know, there's starting to be quite a lot of data that's coming out on this that, you know, also suggests that because of the way women come into entrepreneurship is different to men often and the way they come into tech is different to men. They haven't built those networks over time like men have. They don't have the ability to just tap their mate who's also got a startup or who is an investor or whose dad is the CEO and all of those kind of things. You know, I'm now making, you know, general kind of, you know, I don't love doing that, but you know what I'm trying to say. I think that there is that element of genderness to that networking and that ability to know, as you said, another woman who's out there building a business to ask them for advice, to connect in, because it is a different set of scenarios than, you know, a man who's out there building a business. What's next for this program? Our big audacious hairy goal is that, you know, every woman founder in Australia sees this as the, the starting point. And I think one of the other things we've been talking to investors in the ecosystem about is that what they're seeing is um, women founders tend to be 
reaching out to investors in in a sense of kind of doing a bit of diligence. So, you know, they're reaching out, they're quite early stage, they're saying, hey, um, I might need to raise capital, I'm not sure what would be a typical raise amount or what kind of, you know, information do you need or what should be in my data room. So they're basically collecting information, which is so important. But, you know, what we would like is that they came to us for that information so that they're fully armed with the resources. We're the one-stop shop when women founders come to be connected in to understand the process so that when they're actually reaching out to those investors, they're using that opportunity with their best foot forward to actually raise the capital they need, not to have that initial stage discussion where they're sussing things out. And that's not to say, I mean, most investors, you know, that I've come across are very open to those discussions. I'm not saying they're not, but, you know, we all have biases and we all have preconceived notions about, oh, that founder came to me six months ago and they weren't quite ready. And, well, they were asking questions like raise amount. And, you know, I think we, we kind of build those barriers over time and that puts people off. So where we can arm founders with all of that information and they then are ready to go and actually raise the capital. I think that's a really great solution. The other thing that you've done that's amazing is breathed new life and energy into our investor education. Tell us a bit about that. I think it's such an important part of the puzzle. I think, you know, when we talk about the gender investment lens and we talk about all of these kind of biases, I think part of the problem is also that we're just not seeing the same level of women investors as we are male investors. And so our big goal at scale is, you know, that we create a flywheel effect, that we have incredible women founders who go through our programs, they raise the capital they need, they grow the business, they have women at their helm, they exit, and then they actually become the women investors we need back in the ecosystem. But we don't see it as necessarily a, it has to be women investors. I think we see it very much as, you know, it's great to have women investors investing back in. And predominantly at scale, we do have a higher percentage of women investors than male investors. But I think we also see that it's about also having advocates and having those supporters there who are investing in the same mandate. And so where we can upskill more angel investors And particularly our focus moving forward is on women investors, getting more angel investors who are women executives of whoever they are, wherever they come from, to understand what angel investing is, how to diversify their portfolio, all of those kind of things to mitigate risk and and all of those kind of things so that we can get more women with eyes on the solutions. A great example of this is Milk Drop, you know, one of our portfolio founders at scale, you know, she's pitching a breast pump to a room full of men who've never had to, you know, breastfeed or pump their breasts or feel like a cow or whatever it is, right? And so it's, you know, that dynamic of like you imagine pitching that to a room full of men and then you imagine pitching it to a room full of women investors. It's a very different situation. And so I think where we can get more investors generally investing in this category, but also women investors wanting to give back and invest in the future of women, I think is really important. Yeah, I think what I also love about what you've done with the investor education is I think it's setting investors up for success, you know, financially and other metrics of satisfaction. But I think it if you have better quality more skilled, more informed investors, then you set the entrepreneurs up for success. And you actually um, have a well-defined understanding as an investor about what your role is at this stage of the company's life. 
and then enable that company to sort of grow and succeed with further investment down the track. Absolutely. And I think I think one of the things we talk about throughout the program is the importance of particularly at an early stage where we're investing, you know, pre-seed, seed stage, is the importance of understanding that that's a relationship and it's a long-term relationship. You know, like the common throw around is that it's harder to get out of an investor relationship than it is to get divorced. Understanding that where we have amazing investors who can also provide skills and knowledge and networks and all of the other things that early stage founders need, where we can upskill those investors to also provide that knowledge, that understanding, that assistance, and to know where that line is, right? Because not every founder is going to want 10 investors sitting on their shoulder providing advice if it's not necessarily relevant. So where we can also assist investors in terms of the level of support that is needed and can be provided and all of those kind of things, I think is an important step as well. Obviously, one of our reasons for being at scale is we'd love to see more women founders thrive. I think a precondition to that is we'd like to see more women in technology generally. You've sort of seen this challenge from both sides in terms of, you know, from the entrepreneurial side, but also from the educational system side. What are some of the challenges? What can we do better as a society to encourage more girls to love being involved in the sort of fundamental skills that would see them end up as thriving entrepreneurs or technologists? It's a big question. And I think, you know, the problem is that there are so many layers to this and there's layers throughout history. And and I think the one great thing is that we're having these conversations because these are such important conversations to have. I think maybe first before I go into the, you know, the how or the what is maybe the why. And I think really because technology and entrepreneurship should be for everyone, you know, whether you're a man, a woman, a mother, a father, non-binary, Aboriginal Australian, we all have our own lived experiences. And I believe it's really important that the innovations that we support actually reflect those lived experiences. You know, if we're only focusing on certain solutions, then that's a disadvantage to us all. And I think, you know, the other thing is that, you know, tech jobs pay well, they're often innovative, there's more of them every year, and they really have a growing impact on our future. One book that I'm sure you've read, but I I think is so interesting because it specifically focuses on education, is Melinda Gates' The Moment of Lift, which I'm sure lots of people have read before. But I think what's really interesting about that and why I found it really interesting is, is she talks more generally about education. She talks specifically about educating women around contraceptives, but more generally about education. And she really says that tech is creating the way we live our lives. And if women are not in tech, then women will not have the power. And for me, that just resonates so strongly. And so that's why I feel it's really important that we do ensure that we have more women in technology. How? You know, it just, again, goes back to the education. And clearly that's, you know, (laughs) my background. So I'm going to say that. But right from the start, I have a little boy, he's going to kindergarten and I I see it even there, that gendered approach to play and learning. And I think, you know, as educators, it's really important that we try and remove that and we try and encourage girls in particular to go into STEM. And I think that there are some really great solutions out there, whether that's girls in tech or whatever it is, kind of looking at that bigger piece around how do we encourage women to go into tech. And I think 
a lot of that comes back to the schools and to the career advice that those students are provided. And I think, I actually do think that that's changed and it's getting a lot better where we're, we're actually pushing girls into careers that we may not have previously. I think more broadly speaking, our education system needs to change, but that's not a topic for today. <laughs> that's too big a topic. <laughs> and I think then more specifically is where we can encourage young women who have just left school to go into more entrepreneurial type environments, then that is where we can really make a difference. Because I, by the time women go into their um, children making period, they're often already kind of pigeonholed into certain work that they can and they can't do. But what I've really lived through my own experience is, is realising that lots of the skills are transferable. And actually encouraging women to go, you know what, you don't have to go back to that like job where they said you couldn't be in this leadership role if you weren't coming back full time or whatever it happens to be, where someone can come up with a solution that really, I think there's not quite one out there yet that really encourages that job sharing approach, whatever it is to get women into the roles that they they should be even you know the report that's come out in the last couple of days talking about what businesses can do. And I think it's definitely what startups can do because startups have the ability to be a bit more flexible. They often can't pay market rates. So how do you incentivize women to come into these roles? Well, you make it a job share or you make it a part-time role or you you make it flexible. And I think that's the one advantage of COVID is that we've all seen a little bit more flexibility come into the to the workplace. So yeah, I've, I've caught, gone in a full circle with <laughs> that answer. But I think, you know, it really is about understanding the importance of education. One thing I do want to make clear is that I don't think that it's all doom and gloom. I think it's actually a really positive time to be a founder in Australia and a woman founder because I think that there is generally a push. I mean, every conversation I'm having at government level is about supporting women founders. How can we support women founders? And particularly now, you know, even in the last 12 months, this shift to how do we make sure women founders are getting more investment? that's the next step, really supporting women into startups and into away from it being purely that women have SMEs, services-based businesses, you know, hair salons and that kind of stuff. It's often I get phone calls about the program and it's someone saying, oh, look, I've got a services-based solution right now, but I'm building out, I built this app because I needed it for my own company. And I'm sure other people need it too. And it's about that rhetoric and explaining that, well, there is a global opportunity here and encouraging women to go for it, just like their male counterparts tend to. So you fit a lot in. You're a mother. You've run education programs for two fantastic organisations. You're a marriage celebrant. Um, (laughs) How do you fit it all in? Have you got any tips for being productive? I am a bit of a just get it done type person. I actually find I work best when I have lots of things to do. I think sometimes on the odd day where I'm the baby's asleep and I'm thinking, oh God, I should just sit down and read a book, you know, but <laughs> you know, I'm more likely to, you know, put on Connect to Capital or listen to a podcast or do something like that. So I think I think yes, it's definitely part of my personality. But also I really believe in the networks you surround yourself with. And I'm very lucky to have amazing grandparents who jump in and help a wonderful partner who's happy to pick up the slack when I need him to and all of those kind of things. And I think then the final thing is just any kind of productivity hack you can do. You know, if I'm 
driving to a meeting, I'm most likely talking to founders on the phone about the Empowered program. If I'm going for a walk, I'm listening to a podcast. I think the other thing that I've loved during COVID and was actually just saying to, you know, Chelsea and Samar the other day is I need to get back to walking meetings, you know, because I used to do that right at the start of COVID all the time. Every time it was a non-Zoom meeting, I'd go for a walk and and it cleared my head. And now I just spend the day sitting at, at the computer. So one of the things that often is asked of me by founders is that resilience piece and how do I actually look after myself? I'm really struggling. And I think that's really easy to say it's simple, go for a walk. It's it's not that easy. But I think where founders can make sure that they do give themselves a break and they have a bit of time with the family and they go for a walk. And and even if it's multitasking, they're going for a walk and listening to a podcast, um, you know, or going for a walk and making a phone call. I think that's one part of the solution. And then I think it's, again, back to that community, that ability to connect with another founder who's been there, done that, and can actually say, you know what, I was in this headspace six months ago, but don't worry, keep going because you will get past this moment in time. And I think there are so many, there would be so many incredible business ideas out there in this world that just never get off the ground because that person didn't have someone to say, keep going it'll get better. You've mentioned Melinda Gates's book. What other resources would you recommend for founders? When you said bring along some resources, I thought, oh gosh, (laughs) there's so many to choose from. So what I did is kind of really focus on ones that I think are really relevant for founders that are raising capital at the moment or seeking to in the near future. And I think one great resource is Cut Through Ventures. So they have a monthly newsletter which is really great for insights into um, startup funding in Australia. And I think that's really important because obviously it is different than looking at the um, US market um, and important to benchmark against what we're actually seeing here. I think the other thing is, you know, Airtree. Airtree has some great open source documents and we're often referring back to them and, and sharing them with founders. One that I think is particularly valuable is diligencing your own investor. I think so much focus is placed on the due diligence that investors do on founders. But another part of it is you really understanding who that investor is before you bring them on. We talk a lot about smart capital. And I know that lots of people in the ecosystems talk a lot about smart capital and that idea that every now and again, you take money or we hear of founders taking money just because they really needed it. And, 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 but they've actually ended up in a situation where the investor who might have invested is now causing a barrier because they're not willing to take on new investors or they don't want them to move in this particular direction or whatever it happens to be. So I think it's really important that founders really understand that it is a, long, a long-term commitment and align themselves with the right founder as best they can. You know, it's not always perfect. And then I think there's some great resources or I would say it's probably, you know, almost like a curated list of blog posts from Gary Vigentay from Right Click Capital. So I always think that that's a great list of resources and just basically a area to go to find a whole range of resources for startups, founders and investors alike. And then, of course, the Empowered Program, (laughs) a little plug there. Um, You know, we've really spent a lot of time talking to investors in the ecosystem and founders and asking them what resources they find really useful and, and found that this is a space where you can come, it's really curated and it's an opportunity to to connect and ask questions and have a bit of that kind of mentorship and coaching in a really safe space. So definitely for any female founders listening, 
check out the Empowered program. Uh, So last question for you, what are you really hopeful and excited about? I'm really hopeful that we get more and more women founders signing up to the Empowered program. We're constantly looking at iterations and so hoping to have a few offerings as of next year to get founders into the Empowered program. But I think more generally to move away specifically from what I'm doing on my day-to-day, I'm actually really hopeful that we'll begin to see a shift in the percentage of women founders that get investment. I think that, you know, there's some really great work being done in this space from, as I was saying, the government, I think really pushing, particularly the state governments, but also the federal government, really pushing this space and the importance of this space which I think is incredible. Um, I think one of the problems with this space sometimes is this kind of idea that it's like a charity or, you know, philanthropic or whatever. And I think actually we need to move away from that message and towards this actually being a really good economic decision for investors to invest in women founders. The data is very clear on the results, but, you know, let's move away from that. And I think we are. I think we're moving towards a, a new era where investors are going to see, you know, that return on investment and we're going to actually see a real shift. And I'm really hopeful that that is in the near future. Well, it's been absolutely brilliant to spend some time with you. Thank you for all the work you're doing. I think the program is amazing and um, we're really lucky to have you. Thanks, Catherine. It was great to chat. We hope you loved today's conversation as much as we did and are fired up to take your startup journey to the next level. As an investment network founded by women, no one better understands what it takes for women-led startups to thrive, like scale investors. We believe education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. That's why we created Scale Educated, an education platform with online courses for both founders and investors. If you're a woman founder, Scale has two education programs. Scale Founded, a five-day short course combining one-hour live webinar sessions delivered by experienced investors and founders, access to an online education platform, and the opportunity to network with trailblazing women entrepreneurs. Scale Founded is launching in February 2022. The other exciting program is Scale Empowered, a 10-week facilitated series, an opportunity to put your learnings into the context of your own startup with a cohort of incredible women entrepreneurs by your side. You can find all of the information and register on our website, www.scaleinvestors.com.au.